maybe a magician, but you're unlikely to see him pulling rabbits from hats, swallowing swords or sawing women in half. Scottish illusionist, mentalist and performance artist Scott Sylvan is bringing his show Wonders to Aotearoa, New Zealand. In March, it is part of Te Ahure Toi o Tamaki, the Auckland Arts Festival. He studied hypnosis while he was still in his teens and by 21 was headlining a show at one of the UK's top theatres. Scott Sylvan is with us now from New York. Kia ora, good morning. Thanks for being with us, Scott. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, what is a mentalist? That's a good question. I think when people hear the word mentalism, it's, it's a little scary, isn't it? It sounds as if you're out of control of your own mind. But really, mentalism, to me, is the purest form of magic. Unlike traditional magicians who, as you say, are using rabbits and hats and peoples in boxes, mine doesn't really involve any of that. It's using people's memories, emotions, and crafting impossible experiences from those things. Okay. Is there a way of, I suppose, demonstrating to the audience perhaps a little bit of what you mean by that? Well, whilst I save the illusions for the show, I would love to try maybe a short visualisation I could do with you and the audience at home. Okay. And now you can't do this if you're driving. I do need two hands if you have them for this to work. Okay. But um, I'm just going to take you on just a short journey of memory in the mind. So in a moment... I'm going to ask you and your audience to clasp your hands together tightly, almost as if you're praying. You don't have to do it just yet, though. Okay. And once you've done that, you're going to extend your two index fingers, pointing them towards the ceiling so there's a little space between them. Mm -hmm. Now, your conscious mind is going to tell you that these fingers will not touch, but I want your imagination to take over. And the more that you stare at that space in between those two fingers, I want to see if we can guide ourselves together to make those fingers connect. So let's try it together right now. Clasp your hands together. Okay, audience participation is coming up now. If you're not driving, everybody, clasp your hands together. Yes, a little more fun if you are driving. I suggest you don't. (laughs) So clasp your hands together tightly like so. Okay. So they're tightly together, almost as if you're praying. Now, point your two index fingers towards the ceiling. And right now, they'll be touching, probably. Now you're going to separate them so there's a space between them, maybe about an inch or two. And now stare at that space in between your two index fingers. Okay. And as you stare at that space in between your two ingots fingers, you know that your imagination take over. And the more you focus on those two fingers, those fingers will now begin to move closer and closer and closer together, almost like two magnets now moving closer and closer together. And it's strange, the more you try to resist, you let your imagination take over as those fingers now move closer and closer and closer together until they can just touch. And as they now touch you now see an image from your childhood in your mind, something that takes you back, one of your favourite moments. Lock that thing in mind and bring it to the show at the Sky City Theatre. We're going to be using those memories. Oh, my God, that's really weird. It is a little strange, isn't it? Because my fingers your conscious aren't quite, mind is telling you. Yeah, my fingers weren't quite touching, but I could see them getting, as you said, closer and closer. I could see them moving. And closer together. Yeah. And that's the strange thing about mentalism. Just by guiding people using their mind and memory and their own imagination, you can sort of craft these impossible experiences. And it's interesting because mentalism and magic, although they share the same stage of wonder, I like to think of them speaking in different tongues, different Mm. tongues of the soul. Like mentalism, for me in its purest form, it's an exploration of the human mind, a dance with the, the threads of thought and perception. It's not so much about what we see, but what you believe and feel and perceive. And I feel that's a really powerful thing to share with an audience. That's really what led me in my journey away from traditional magic as a little kid. 
Speaking of tongues, and I'm a fine one to talk on this, um, but your accents are pretty interesting, Mel, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I know, Susie. I I know you've still got a beautiful Scottish bro. So I I moved to New York and... (laughs) Comes and goes, right? Oh, my goodness. I feel the same way. Um, So I'm from the lowlands of Scotland. I grew up in the Clyde Valley. And really, that's where I got my start. My my North Star as a little kid, for some reason, was to move to New York City. I Mm. I don't know why, like maybe through osmosis and movies and films and books. But um, I was able to achieve that dream in, in 2017. So I've I've been there since then. I, I travel across the world with my work, but as you can probably hear, my Scottish accent has sort of slowly slipped away. So it's funny, when I go back to Scotland, my family don't understand me and I don't understand them, <laughs> but it's challenging. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, when did you get interested in magic and realise it was your thing? You know, it, I, was a, I remember being a little kid, maybe four or five years old, and um, my granddad, I, I lived with my grandparents for a short time, showed me like a really simple illusion where he made me sign my name on a coin and I placed the coin in my hand he passed his hand over it and the coin vanished and then he pointed to a matchbox that was on the mantelpiece and I ran over to the matchbox opened it up and inside was my signed coin Mm. and I thought this is an incredible experience of Mm. transformation the laws of physics have just completely exploded in front of me he told me the secret it was deeply disappointing Susie what is the secret I was. <laughs> Can you tell us the secret? Um, I no, I'm sworn to secrecy. I cannot tell you the secret, <gasps> but whatever you think it is, it's probably more disappointing than what you think it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized pretty quickly, you know, that he only knew one or two different tricks. He probably learned them in his his army days when he was a young man, and just learning those experiences, those sort of traditional magic tricks, I thought, my goodness, that's so powerful that you can take the everyday, the ordinary, and create something extraordinary from it. Mm. And sort of growing up in those lowlands of Scotland as well, like as you know yourself, Scotland, it's a place where myth and mystery is a really big part of its identity. So I'd spend my days sort of exploring the forests and the rivers and hearing about the tales of the Kelpies and all sorts of things like that, sort of lost in this world of wonder. And that really led me in the journey of magic. Um, stole every book I could from the library and learned what I could from there. And then when I was 12 or 13, I saw that there was a hypnosis course in Milan. Mm. I read it in some magazine somewhere. And I can't believe I did this, but I didn't tell my mum. I told her it was a school trip. I was going on to London. And I got the bus from Glasgow on a Friday evening all the way through Italy to Milan and did this course at 13 years old in Milan and then came back the next weekend suddenly with these hypnotic skills how did you get that how did that come about though how did you get that past your mom and where did you find the money to do stuff like that though i know well here's the unbelievable thing number one she didn't find out about it until about 10 years ago when i started doing media interviews and she heard it one day on tv and i (laughs) had to gently explain her that the the reason i'm at where i am today is because of that course and number two you were meant to fly there but i of course could not afford to do that i'd saved my pocket money so i got a mega bus which was five pounds, five British pounds return to get you from Glasgow to Milan and back again. And I I stayed in a hostel and I did it for five days. And it was this really intense course where up until that point, I'd done traditional magic. You know, Mm. it's using sleight of hand. It's using the magic that we know. This course, as I sort of 
experienced with you was exploring that power of the human mind. And we were really put on the spot where we learned some hypnotic techniques and then the guy would put us out on the street and we would ask people if they wanted to be hypnotized on the street. And, mm. and from there we would, we would try and do it. So it's really throwing yourself in the deep end. And just coming back from that, I didn't have any interest in being a hypnotist, but realizing that the power and the depth of the human mind and how that can, can relate to the human experience really led me in my North Star of mentalism um, and following that journey. Can, anybody, that on, can anybody be hypnotized? Yeah. Um, and if so, to what end? I mean, is it, in quotes, real? You know, could people be hypnotized to, for example, give up smoking? Or is, what is actually going on Absolutely. There? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think when we hear of hypnotism, we assume that you are completely asleep, unaware of what's going on, you wake up and you don't remember anything. And it really isn't that at all. It, it's really just taking people into their subconscious and you're giving them a choice of what they want to do. And they can either accept or reject that choice. And it's really interesting because anytime hypnosis has been put under the, the microscope, there's really there's nothing there. There's so little science rooting it to, to, to what's actually happening. But time and time again, it works. So I've often found that people who are the most skeptical um, and most avoidant of hypnosis are actually usually the easiest hmm. to, to go on a sort of hypnotic journey. I don't know if it means they have a greater imagination or um, I'm, I'm really not sure, but I find it profoundly fascinating. And I, I've been using elements of hypnosis in my work since I've been about 15. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a really special experience. For me, you'll be pleased to hear, no one is being hypnotized on stage. It's not a hypnosis show, but it's, it's, it's certain moments in the show are taking the audience to um, past moments of their lives or um, profound and beautiful memories that they want to share. And sometimes those visualization techniques are a little helpful. Lots of people are a bit frightened about the idea of, oh, yeah. of some of these techniques being used and indeed of the audience participation aspect of shows. Absolutely. My great fear um, <laughs> is interactive and immersive shows. Mm. I avoid them uh, as much as I can anytime Why? I hear this audience participation. I get really scared. I, I just think, you would think being a performer myself mm. that I'd be totally comfortable with that, but... Um, I think it's how we all feel. You assume that you're going to be made a fill out of, or you're going to be put in an uncomfortable position, or asked to reveal something about yourself that you don't want to reveal. I'm, um, I'm totally aware of that. And really what wonders is, it, it's a collective experience. It's taking the audience on a, on a journey together. And certainly there's moments in the show where several audience members will be on stage or I'll be out in the audience. But really the audience sharing the experience together, it, it makes it... Um, much more comfortable to be in because you're witnessing these impossible things happening around you and, and you want to go along for that ride. Mm. So as I say, I am really sensitive to that. Um, and I, uh, I hope the experience will be one you'll want to uh, connect with, be a part of. As you were growing up, um, I guess it must have been the likes of David Blaine, uh, David Copperfield, um, Darren Brown. Were they some of the, the sort of significant magician influences if you like as you were growing up i actually i had two people in my life number one was a a, a gentleman called david Berglas, who was a, a precursor to darren brown one of the sort of grandfathers of mentalism um, and a lot of what you see darren do on stage he he owes to david and he writes in his you know his program mm. um thanking david for it so 
David sadly passed away just last year, but his work was really um, monumental to me. And secondly, in, in Glasgow, you may be aware of this this uh, place in Glasgow, there's a trick shop called Tam Shepherds. Mm. I don't know if you ever ran into that when you were in Scotland, but um, it's, it's one of the oldest magic shops in the world, unbelievably. And there was a, a chap in there called Roy Walton, and he really took me under his wing when I was a little kid and um, taught me some of the tricks of the trade. And I started really young. So at that age, it was the magic that you would expect, card tricks and coin tricks. That, that was Roy's speciality. Mm. And interestingly, a lot of the illusions he's created um, are used by David Blaine, used by David Copperfield. So there was an amazing um, access to that sort of ambition of other people and realizing at that age that, look, this is something that maybe isn't just a hobby. This could be a passion. This could be your career. So... It was, looking back now, wonderful having access to that and, and realizing that was the moment of my North Star of knowing, look, you can do this if you want to. And how do you think about the work you do? Is it, is it tricks or is it something else? I think there is, of course, illusion in what I do. But as a theatre maker, it, it's ultimately related to, to storytelling, to the human mind and, and to the power of connection. So I suppose, like any theatre show, you know, it's, it's a mixture of, of light and shade and what you're seeing on stage may not be entirely true, but it takes you to somewhere else. It can produce feelings of awe. Um, and that's really what I, I focus on, that not everything you're seeing on stage is entirely real, but it's hopefully taking you to a place of the unknown, a place of wonder. And I think it's so important to promote curiosity, um, enhance creativity and build connection in that way. Mm. And there's a really interesting study um, that I've explored for the past few years that experiencing wonder through illusion has been linked to increased well-being. It, you know, not only does it produce feelings of awe, which are obviously associated with lower levels of stress, but it boosts mood, it creates better happiness. And I really see that in the show, like audiences when they come in at the start and then when they leave, it's hopefully a really inspirational experience. Magicians like Penn and Teller, who the audience may well be familiar with, um, often sort of let, let the light in on the magic, so to speak. They, they do explain or show aspects of how they've done some of the illusions that they have. Is that something that you do? Is that the sort of thing that people, do you think, really want to know? Do we really want to know? Or would we rather go away thinking, oh, I've no idea how they did that? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? Mm. I think deep down we probably do want to know. We all, in your own life, have an innate desire to understand everything, to quantify everything. And for me, that's the, the power of magic. And in terms of the illusions that a Penn and Teller reveal, and I'm huge fans of Penn and Teller, those are, are mysteries and puzzles. And I think they encourage audiences to think critically and question how things are work, and they stimulate intellectual curiosity. Um, for me, with mentalism, because it's so much more personal and involving people's um, memories and emotions and, and those sort of experiences, there is less of a desire to try and find the, the mechanics of the illusion because it's, it's a mixture of all things. There's a little bit of hypnosis and psychology and traditional magic, and it hopefully just leaves the audience with, with a, a complete sense of wonder and the unknown of it, and they, they choose to give up. Um, it defies their expectations and, and logic. Mm. But, um, you know, I'm a huge skeptic, uh, like everyone, <laughs> and 
you know, as, as a little kid, was always trying to work things out. It would be opening toys and computers and, and trying to work out, well, how does this thing work? So I totally get it. But the interesting thing about Wonders is leading the audience into that experience, hopefully by about a third of the way through the show, you just relax into it. You give up and you realize this isn't about the mechanics of a magic trick. It's mm. hopefully about something a little more greater. As with very many artists, the pandemic meant that you had to pivot because obviously you do an awful mm. lot of um, shows to live audiences, but you did do a digital one. Um, is that something that you would want to pursue further? Do you have any TV show in the works, anything like that? I do have a few projects in the works and I it was a really interesting experience for me crafting that digital experience because... I knew from the get-go I didn't want to create something that was a Zoom show. I think we'd seen a multitude of those sort of experiences. And, and because the work that I do, it so closely explores human connection. Mm. Doing that across a screen is a really challenging thing to do. So I was able to, um, amazingly, I was trapped in Scotland while it happened. I, I went back to visit my family for what I thought would be two weeks and, and got trapped there for a year and a half. So we sort of crafted this digital experience in my childhood home and we used projection mapping and a multi-robotic camera setup and made it feel as immersive as possible. We also used binaural sound with the audience as well. And it was the first um, digital show to get New York Times critics pick, which really validated what we were creating and sort of made me realize, yeah, there's, there's more to this work than just the live experience. I had great fear of TV before that it, it just feels so two-dimensional that there's not a way to connect with it. But there was a lot of elements from that experience. We, we, you know, we did 500 shows digitally across the world. One mm. evening you might be doing Singapore, the next evening, next evening you might be doing Berlin. Having that experience uh, made me realize, yeah, there's, there's something in the digital realm and on screen that you can create. So I have a few projects in the works um, that hopefully, uh, hopefully will be revealed soon. You're very polished at what you do. I've watched quite a few uh, videos of you uh, on various uh, TV shows and, and the like, um, doing some of the illusions that you do. And that takes huge amounts of work to get to that kind of level. What is that like as a process along the way? I guess there must be times that the, the trick falls flat or it doesn't quite work as you wanted it to. And how do you, how do you kind of pick yourself up and keep going? Yeah, I think, I think like any performer, when you're interacting with a live audience, um, you were responsible for curating and building that energy. And it's, it's a responsibility I take very seriously. I had a great fear when I was younger, um, just because I was touring so much. I, I was doing 500 shows a year across the world that this is, you know, this may lead to burnout. This may just feel like autopilot. And thankfully, I think because my work is so interactive, it helps me stay away from that. I'm, you know, I'm not reciting lines on stage into a darkened audience. It's such an interactive collective experience. And I think that also helps when things maybe don't go entirely to plan. Um, the audience may see a journey of an illusion as being point A, B, and C, but I may have started point A three or four illusions before. So I can take the, the illusion or the direction of the show in a different, um, in a different way. Um, and thankfully, I've been doing the work long enough now that I, I'm never putting anything in there that I'm, I'm sure 98% mm. of it isn't going to work. Uh, it's going to work, I should say. But um, the other unique challenge as well is because this show is audience-led, 
everyone in the audience is randomly chosen. I think we all feel the experience when you come to magic shows, oh, there must be a plant in there or people he's hired. And, and that's not the mm. case. Every, everyone gets randomly chosen by other audience members. That's a great thing for the audience. But of course, it makes it much more challenging for me because mm. I'm having to connect with the, the energy of a random person who's been brought mm. up on stage at that moment. Um, but but as I say, I have been doing it long enough now that um, I can hopefully navigate that, uh, get out of some sticky situations. Indeed. Well, thank you very much for joining <laughs> us on RNZ National. Scott Sylvan there. His show Wonders Pleasure. in March is coming to the Auckland's Ar- Auckland Arts Festival and you can find a link to that on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Saturday. Tony's been in touch. Wow, my fingers started moving and touched as soon as I stared at them. Crazy. Someone else says that's the natural muscle impulse. You're pulling against the finger muscles' natural alignment in that position, so they naturally want to move back towards each other. There you go.